0: How are you? Just finishing up this mint. M mm, Y N T Z mm. exclamation point. Mm, 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 great for sound. Man. Sorry, Ryan. Well, how's I was it going? I was just going to ask you the same thing. Oh, Matt. Um, and it's going fine. How are you? I'm great. We went to Palm Springs. Um, happy to be back. You're Good. here, fresh from hot spin. Fresh from hot spin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, I, I've seen you more than once right after, and you're you are surprisingly fresh. Yeah no this was just now. I got out like 20 minutes ago. I'm surprised that you're not you're not red faced you're not drenched in sweat. You- I had, had myself a nice little shower afterwards. See, but I do the thing when then I shower and then I'm still, and I'm like, why do yeah. I even do that? Because I'm still rolled down the secret? windows on the way back. It's surprisingly cold in California uh, today. I had the uh, the teacher who is going through some sort of psychological something. Mm. Um, it it was uh, it was it was deep. Uh, he talked about how moving to L.A. to be an actor really fucked him up. Oh no! And then when I got hit by that car, it all changed. And then he and then that's all he said about that. Oh shit! So there's more. <laughs> there's more to that story. Also, he is either he is staunchly. For legalization of drugs or anti-legalization, I'm not huh. sure which, but it is a very strongly held opinion that he has. That he yelled about all through uh, stir fry from Migos. Uh, he's talking about drugs while you're singing? yeah, Yeah, he's really checking in with you. Is he talking about specific throughout. substances? No this this was just a general drugs. Huh. Yeah, it was. A, he gives you kind of a DB Sweeney effect. From The okay. Cutting Edge. Oh, right, right, right. He's that, he looks like that. I mean, I'm intrigued. Yeah, I mean, come and join me. I'll be there. I can't there. wait. Um, also this week, I, um, I, you know, I'm torn. I either staunchly do want Jacob Wall to stop doing gadfly conservative trickery, uh-huh. or I really never want him to stop because he's so bad at it. walk me through who he is i'm embarrassed that i don't know jacob wool is this he's this young he's just out of college like maybe he might he's maybe 22 or something Uh like that and he's one of these self-styled young like turning point young conservative people right and i will tell you this anything that that our president ever posts the first eight replies are from jacob wool you're the best Oh, Best president ever, mm. all that kind of thing. Like he's just – he's real conservative and he wants to be – he's like he wants to be James O'Keefe who is one of these conservative trickster guys but uh-huh. who always gets caught and is terrible at his job. Jacob Wool is worse. So he and his boss, who's like my age and he, who should know better, um, allegedly hired a young conserv- – like college conservative – to say that he had been molested by Pete Buttigieg, what? Yeah, Holy yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit. so so they like they flew him to fucking wherever they live. Um, they gave him a caramel macchiato and an expensive haircut. okay? <laughs> That's how they paid him. That's for how this. they paid him. Uh, and then there was going to be more money later. but it just in the moment, just to dazzle him. I think they went venti caramel macchiato and then a very expensive. What wouldn't you say for a venti? I know. Right. So they wrote up a big statement for him. Okay. Uh And then, and then he slept on it and he was staying in, in one of their townhouses or whatever. And then to hear this guy tell it, this young kid named Hunter Kelly, they then opened up all of these social media accounts in his name. Real Hunter Kelly, whatever, like a, a new Twitter, uh-huh. a new Instagram, a new Facebook, whatever, and posted this story that they had written about how Pete Buttigieg uh, touched him, right? And he was a kid at the time or something? Uh, he was younger, but oh, it was okay. not consensual is the thing. Okay, and, um, and so then, again, to hear him tell it, the kid wakes up. And is like I don't want to do this anymore, and so and so he's like I need to talk to you guys. And young Jacob Wall is like, hold on, I got to put on a suit. I can't do Monday without a suit because <laughs> he's you know he's a little he's one of these guys. He's young Alex Beaky. Uh, yeah, yeah. So in that time. The the Hunter Kelly's like, I have to go take a nap. And so he goes up to his room to pretend to take a nap and he sneaks out the window and he goes back to wherever the fuck he came from. Right? What? <laughs> I swear to God. So so then he talks to the Daily Beast. The Daily Beast runs a whole big piece about it and about how like how shitty the whole thing was and how like you wouldn't be able to believe it anyway because all of the social media accounts that it was posted on, like, popped up that day. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So so then the next day they're <laughs> Jacob Wohl and Jack Berkman, his boss, Jacob Wohl, by the way, is like, if the taste of a persimmon took human form, <laughs> it's just sourness uh, okay, in, okay. as a person. Yeah. They come, they come out with their statement and they're like, no, this really happened. And, uh, you know, we're going to sue the daily beast for defamation because all of this is true. And we're going to release everything we know about Pete Buttigieg. You both have, we're having a, uh, um, a, 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 a uh, a press conference on Wednesday, May whatever yesterday was, May seventh, I yeah. guess it was, um, or, or whatever on on that Wednesday. You have until high noon, Friday, May seventh, to uh, to surrender. There is no Friday, May seventh this year. <laughs> this year, it's like the ninth or tenth or something, right? I'm sorry, who's who are they? Who's surrendering? Pete or uh, the Daily, Daily Beast who the, wrote the, Daily the piece? Beast, got it. Um, this Hunter Kelly, by the way, releases another statement in comic sans. What? Yes. (laughs) With like way too many commas and like usage of words that aren't, um, like I woke up to see my face lambasted all over the internet. Like that's not how that word works Mm. at all. Um, so then they go, Jacob Wool and Jack Berkman then go on and they do have their press conference in Jack Berkman's driveway. There's a cardboard box, like for a big screen TV, out front with Dunkin' Donuts on top of it that any of the press can take. But like three people from the press show up, they begin their I, this again. This is not a joke. They begin their press conference and the trash truck shows up, <laughs> so you can't hear anything that they're saying because like the the fucking bins are being shook out. Right? This is the it's best thing that I've. Fucking I ever. magnificent. So they have this whole thing and and like and they're both. Not good at their jobs, you know, like they're, they're, they're probably, they're probably smart in some financial way that I don't understand. Like they know what a hedge fund is or something, but like, but as far as this kind of thing that they're trying to do, piss poor, right? So, so they say whatever they're going to say, Hunter Kelly's like, yeah, no, this is, it never happened. I, it, comma, never happened, comma, whatever. So, so now that's where we are now. They uh, apparently the Daily Beast and Pete Buttigieg have until high noon on Friday, the day this comes out uh, to do some to I don't know, to surrender in some way. And then has Pete (laughs) commented on this? Not a word. And how did they choose Hunter Kelly? Other than he was clearly an idiot. But first Uh, of all, that's a porn star's name. A 100 percent. A porn star or a college Republican. Yeah. A gay college Republican. And there's quite an overlap there. There really, really (laughs) is. So yeah, I think they just went to like, you know, the young gay that just searched gay conservative on Twitter and Hmm. found this guy. And he but he doesn't actually know Pete. He's not someone from his past. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. Oh, man, this is stun- it's so I'm so happy that I somehow missed that entire story so that I could live through oh, it right now. Well, I mean, it's it it's not going to stop. For, I I don't know what has to happen for these guys to go to prison. Uh-huh. Cuz this is all defamatory or at least like get sued to right. death. You know what I mean? Yeah. But or they they keep coming. Job in the White House. Which or I think is probably House. where we're headed. It yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a good one,
0: folks. Look it up, and there and there are details that I'm not remembering. So, (laughs) well, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to remain tuned out of this entire story. Okay, next time next week, I want you to fill me in on the next chapter. You got it. You got it. Uh, We should we should roll into this episode. I think I think we should, which is with the great Karen Tongson. Oh my God. Um. First time we've heard the word capacious on this uh, on on Absolutely. this podcast. Yes, first first uh, esteemed university professor. She's a professor at USC. Yeah, and, and she's an author. So funny and so smart, and and we like all the same things. And mm-hmm. I I want to be her best friend. So this is officially my request for that to happen. All right, enjoy uh, this interview with Dave's new best friend, Karen Tongson. The best part—I almost forgot—we had to come back. We had to come back. I'm sorry if you're if you're anticipating Karen Tonkson. She's coming very soon. Tell but us, I forgot tell us tell the us. best. Part there was uh, a uh, allegedly for this press conference a huge left wing counter protest that was going to bring together all kinds of like antifa people and oh, everything. God. So there was an eventbrite for that to sign up to go to the counter protest for the Jacob Wool uh, press conference about the Pete Buttigieg thing that didn't happen from the College Republican who barely exists <laughs> and so, and the eventbrite account was Jacob Wool. It was as. Uh, It was to hit like the email for the Eventbrite was (laughs) Jacob Wohl's personal email. He He tried to start a counter protest against a thing that nobody was at the front protests for. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Goddamn. Sorry. He is an idiot. He's a true, true idiot and a lemon. Ladies and gentlemen, Karen Tongson. We are back with Karen Tongson, Professor Karen Tongson. How, how are, are you? We our first distinguished professor.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm a distinguished professor, but I certainly am a professor. Although I, I, I like the idea of being distinguished.
0: Well, you are uh-huh. our most distinguished guest. <laughs> I don't know what that says about previous guests, but mm. you're at the end of the school year.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, it's, you know, the, the the fanfare of graduations coming up, you know, like commencement and robes and the whole thing. uh a lot of faculty meetings, you know, the, the kind of denouement tying up loose ends. So that's so that's where we are. And I'm very, very excited for the semester to end. It was a fun but busy one, and I'm looking forward to vacation. Mm-hmm.
0: You, you mentioned maybe eating burgers naked, Oh, uh, yes,
1: yes. Um, we are visiting one of our friends in the south of France, and one of the enticements is that you know, she's like, well, I think that you guys are going to want to join me eating burgers naked. Naked on a beach in the Mediterranean. And I'm like, hell yeah. I mean, I love that idea. Let's go. We're we're there.
0: (sighs) Not afraid of a Sandy burger.
1: No, not afraid (laughs) of a Sandy burger or nor Sandy other things, I guess. Yeah.
0: Good for that you. That <laughs> sounds like – have you ever been nude on a beach?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I went to graduate school at Berkeley, and I was kind of body shy before I got there. But the minute – I was there for, like, a month, and then suddenly, like, everyone's inviting me to, like, a women's bathhouse. So <laughs> I quickly, you know, got over my body shame and just became basically a nudist in private life. Oh, nice. So, yeah. It's like – so people would ask me, you know, like, my classmates like, you want to go hang out at Acento? You know, I'm like, uh, okay. And then I, you know, again, I – Became amenable to the uh, reclining in the nude with your colleagues. Yeah, thing. yeah. Have
0: you ever done a clothing optional resort of any kind? Dave? Uh, I went to a party at one in uh, in Palm Springs. Of course. Oh, the Palm and Springs one. Mm-hmm. I went for the clothed option. <laughs> and was it your experience that the the those who were not clothed did, were not the people you necessarily wanted to see? No, unclothed? No. no. I mean, there was okay. it ran the gamut. But what, so it, it did have a cruisy vibe. Oh, definitely, yeah, absolutely, um, and I just like I'm just I. We live in the age of everyone having a camera in their pocket. Oh right? yeah, even if they aren't don't wearing have pockets. Clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's still places to hide them. Yeah. And I just kind of feel like that's not.
1: Mm, it's true. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about that. So now that I've advertised, yeah. you know, like, you know, I certainly hope that no one's going to be stalking me. While I get, get my naked burger France. on. exactly. <laughs> Leave Karen alone. Let her <laughs> eat her burger in
0: peace. In peace. In Nice. Yes. Um, so have you had an opportunity to recreate at all at the end of the uh, semester?
1: Um, very few opportunities, but actually yesterday there was the kind of annual fundraiser for Dyke Day LA, which yeah. they have at the gay leather bar, the Eagle. Yep. And it's one of my favorite occasions every year. It's, you know, they advertise it as like an all day beer bust with barbecue, uh, the raffles, many assortments of lesbianism, um, and Yeah. So we got to go with a bunch of friends and just hang out and day drink and, you know, uh-huh. lose things while we were there. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> Nothing valuable, I hope? Uh, just some sunglasses. I think actually oh. someone pinched my bag. So And luckily, all I had in that bag were my prescription sunglasses, which are a loss, but some jewel pods. So I'm like, ha, joke's on you. Yeah. <laughs> you have jewel pods that are absolutely useless now.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. You really showed them. I punished them. So what's on the TV? Is it the Eagle? cuz oh. under normal circumstances. Oh, it's, it's still
1: it's still nice like, you know, boy bear porn, mm-hmm. you know, sort of mm-hmm. like let's sit on a traffic cone, let's sure. hang out in the locker room, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's what's an only thing. I haven't been to the e- I think I've maybe been to the Eagle once really? in a decade. Yeah, oh. it's uh they're not shy about the uh, <laughs> the porn on the screen. Yeah. Uh, also yeah. clothing optional. Not the bar itself, but clothing optional. Although, honestly, I've Sometimes, seen yeah. listen, I've seen it's things at scam. the Eagle. Yeah, yeah I've right? seen some things at the Eagle. Oh. Let's let's Rush on past that. <laughs> so I'm excited to talk to you because you are one of your the many hats you wear as a cultural critic. So I'm dying to know what you are watching right
1: now. Oh, yeah. You know, the sad thing is as a cultural critic and also like as a scholar who works on like media and popular culture, it's like – um you have to just cram things in because yeah. you have to watch them. But uh, the la- in the last few weeks, I haven't had a chance to watch very much. And honestly, the thing that I lapse into most is like old episodes of Seasons of Survivor I haven't seen yet. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, because it's just so soothing. The repetition of the formula, some vague drama or intrigue, but nothing too like intricate to have to like invest it not like a layered narrative or anything like that and uh-huh. so so that's super easy and comforting and actually my wife and i like my wife who's never watched a season of survivor was the one who started getting into it and was just like oh let's let's keep going i'm like sure and, and and that was very comforting um i'm catching up with the final season of crazy ex-girlfriend as mm. well a show a little show that i've loved for so many reasons uh and i sort of waited for it all to be dumped on netflix so i could get that in a hearty binge but uh, I've only gotten through four episodes of that.
0: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I uh Pete Gardner was uh, an old improv teacher of mine. He's oh. one of the true greats.
1: Yeah, he's amazing and you know everything he does on that show is great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's brilliant. Uh, he he in fact my favorite uh improv moment. He I, I was in level 1 at the time um with Rob Delaney. I'm just oh. dropping names left and right. But uh we were at the bar afterwards. And I was, like, Rob and I were ready to do shows. We weren't, but we were, like, ready to get on stage. And so we kind of sat at Pete's feet and were just, like, getting advice from him and stuff. I was at the bar. Uh, Pete and I were drinking. Pete said something, and, like, a massive piece, like, a a piece of spittle Mm. came out of his mouth. And I watched it go, and it, like, literally landed on my tongue like a comedian (laughs) host. Uh, And in that moment, I was, like, I felt— I felt anointed, yeah, <laughs> in a way. You were, anyway. Wow, that's not that's your origin. That's your superhero. Yeah, that is, yeah, 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 yeah. Origin story. Yeah, are you a superhero person, by the way? Avengers, anything? This is Avengers. Uh... Yes, I
1: know it's Avengers season. Honestly, I have not invested much in the Marvel franchise. My students, my undergrads, just presented on Marvel films and the Marvel universe, but. Uh, I, I have seen the original Iron Man, maybe like that's pretty much yeah, it. So, yeah, I mean, I enjoy it and I've seen Black Panther. But, yeah, I think that I find that newer action films can just feel oversaturated with action to yeah. me. And that it's like the constant barrage on the senses and, and my delicate constitution can't quite handle that.
0: <sighs> right, right. It's a lot. It's
1: a lot. So, yeah.
0: We are also uh, speaking on the day after the Battle of Winterfell.
1: Oh, yeah. It'll be a,
0: a week or so old by the time this uh, this drops. Did you watch with the rest of America?
1: Well, so my wife is a big throne watcher. In fact, because I had another commitment, she took over my seat and Pop Rocket and did the Game of Thrones episode there. And uh, I am not a throne watcher. I've only watched Game of Thrones ambiently. Early in the first couple of seasons, I know, what, what kind of pop culture scholar am I? <laughs> but in the first couple of seasons, I was just like a, could not tell the different bearded white men apart. And I just like felt exhausted and like basically gave up. And then, you know, so as a scholar and somebody who has to, you know, teach pop culture often i've read a lot about game of thrones so i know who the characters are i have a sense of what's happening culturally that's part of the conversation i know some like dragon became like a white walker dragon or yeah. whatever and that like sansa had sex and every or aria or somebody and everybody flipped out about it so i i know these things are happening but it's really like my wife who goes and she watches with our other lesbian friends who all have toddlers and who basically have to cover their toddler's eyes every like few minutes when something like really disturbing happens on screen. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Okay. Who is the actress who posted the sort of the Easter video where she's drinking wine, she's from the show and Oh she's yeah. Said, that was Sophie Turner. Sophie oh, yeah. Turner. Did you yeah. see this? That's
1: I did not. One of I know my that
0: favorite. Yeah. I didn't see it's it actually. All time. I believe she says the Easter Bunny wanted to hop, hop, hop into that
1: pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, now I'll I'll have to go look that up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That was the first time I was like, maybe I do like Game of Thrones. Maybe I do want to watch. Yeah. But I won't. So
1: are you throne people?
0: I am 40% in on Game of Thrones at best. But we went to a a viewing party Mm. last night. And even the super – fan. okay, first of all, I was at a restaurant. And somebody in the kitchen was whistling. And it was like, it was the funniest thing in the world because (laughs) the first 10 minutes are unbelievably intense. Uh And somebody off in the distance was whistling a happy tune (laughs) that was bouncing off the kitchen walls. Mm. And it just like, you could see everyone react to it and want to say something, but not. And finally the manager had to say something. Anyway, Mm. big room full of fans. And as is always the case when I'm with Game of Thrones super fans, somebody comes on the screen and like, somebody's like, who is that? And then it's like, um, it's, uh phyllis or something yeah. you know what i mean just like i yeah. think that's uh, dolores and i forget why she's angry you yeah. know like it's there's yeah. so many people and so many names
1: dolores of the north
0: dolores of the <laughs> north <laughs> um, but it was great i mean b- being barely invested in it it was still like a gripping 80 minutes of oh, television okay. and bet, then afterwards yeah. barry was maybe the best episode of anything i've seen oh like a
1: palate cleanser yes yeah
0: it was incredible also unbelievably intense and violent.
1: Uh, maybe I'll – I thought about turning it on just kind of in the background, but I was still out as part of, you know, doing the whole fundraiser thing looking yeah. for my lost bag. So yeah. that was mm. kind of what was happening to me.
0: <laughs> that was your Game of
1: Thrones. Yeah, that was my Game of Thrones. After. That was my struggle, my yeah. comp. Yes.
0: After uh, after a beer blast. Yes. A draft beer blast. Mm. I don't trust those taps.
1: Oh, see, I just have uh, gin every time I go because you know that you know, like the germ-killing properties alone. Yes, right? yes, right. Oh man,
0: Karen, you, what, what do you not trust about the taps? Uh, the their cleanliness. Ooh. Generally, the draft beer hangover is because of a dirty tap or one that just hasn't been cleaned oh, god, in a Oh god, I never time. thought about Ew. that. Yeah
1: yeah, 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 yeah. It's awful. yeasty, I guess. Yeah.
0: yeah, draft beer is something to avoid. Mm. Wow, really good. Because you 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 think that you should go with what's on tap because it feels special, it feels like inherent to the place. But uh-huh. now I'm never going to do that again. Yeah, no, you should. You should. Right. I mean, but you know which place like cleans their lines out and which doesn't. Basically.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah,
0: and I'm I'm putting the eagle in the dozen category. <laughs> I love that place, well, especially
1: but. when the beer is like two dollars. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly.
0: Uh, what are your, what are your like formative shows?
1: Oh, yeah. Formative shows. So many of them. I, you know, I, when I was a kid growing up in the Philippines in the seventies, the two shows that were most memorable to me were Chips and Charlie's Angels. Oh. And, you know, uh, Charlie's Angels for so, both shows for actually very obvious reasons. But, you know, I remember my first real crush was like Kate Jackson, mm-hmm. you know, um, Sabrina and, and then Chips. I, I really wanted, to wear the outfit and be on a motorcycle, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and then both were very formative of my sexuality. I guess that like formed my impression of what California would be like, Yeah, uh, it, which I didn't move to until I was 10 so many years later. But so those shows, and then once I moved to the States, uh, a lot of shows that were on constant repeat on regular television, because we didn't have cable for the longest time, is, you know, shows like Good Times, Facts of Life, uh, all that kind of the Norman Lear oeuvre, you know, was really important to me. So, so it was basically forged in like 70s, like a mix of 70s drama and jiggle shows and uh, sitcoms. Wow. From the period.
0: Oh. Uh, yeah. And when you moved what a, to what California, you found out, oh, it is exactly like Charlie's Angels. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly like Charlie's Angels and one spends one's time on the freeway all the time. That's right. Really so true. that was kind of uh and, and I did fulfill my fantasy of dressing up as Ponch one. One Halloween, like, maybe 10 years ago. So How'd it feel? It felt really great, actually, yeah. Natural? Um. Oh, t- perfectly natural to be wearing those sunglasses at night. And yes. then wearing, like, weird boots that were actually just galoshes. But whatever, <laughs> they were high enough. It doesn't matter. Nobody needs
0: to know that. Yeah. Did, uh, did your watching extend to the Battle of the Network Stars?
1: Oh, yes. I okay. love things like Battle of the Network Stars. Like, I feel like, you know— uh, Formerly, the athlete known as Bruce Jenner was always on Battle of the Network Stars, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Post-Olympic Games. yeah. Uh, but yeah, people like, it's like the cast of Three's Company versus, you know, yeah. I don't know, the cast of Maud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and not that the cast of Maud was in Battle of the Network Stars. But I
0: think they probably they were. They
1: probably were. But I love that. I love celebrity all-star things. Sure. I'm a real sucker for that. I, yeah. felt like it's, I feel like it's, you know, a combo platter of food. I'm also a sucker for a combo platter of food. It was like, you get to taste so... Many different things. Yeah. So, like an all-star lineup is like a poo-poo platter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah.
0: It's Gabe Kaplan off the clock. Yeah. It's Brenda Vaccaro in a dunk tank. Yeah. It's you know, John Travolta, you need. the
1: whole yeah. gang. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's.
0: I'm would... uh, uh, sorry. It's William Devane uh, smoking on a on a track. Yeah. <laughs> about to do a hundred yard dash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That,
1: I remember, like, just yeah, William Devane. I mean, come on, like in his short shorts, like, yes, no celebrities do that anymore. What a
0: sexy time. Mm-hmm. I I when you you mentioned the athlete formerly known as Bruce Jenner we haven't talked about Caitlyn in a long time I feel on this show or I feel like in mm-hmm. the pop culture realm mm-hmm. do, where are you at with her emotionally
1: I, I mean where am I at emotionally with her I think that actually well a lot of the conversation has died down I think And I hope that maybe it's because she's taking the time to kind of reflect a little bit on Mm. what it means to be a trans woman, a trans person. And, you know, instead of just kind of monetizing that on I am Kate, like really actually sitting with it, having also like stuck her foot in her mouth several times and, you know, come into various conflicts. Hopefully this is like a season of reflection about, you know, the kind of political violences that she endorses with her leanings.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's just when we've we become so accustomed to, like, her documenting every aspect of her life that when she's not, it's like, well, what, how, how, where, where is she? What's happening?
1: I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I, you know, that is the super reparative read is that she's, like, in a space of reflection somewhere. But she could also just be, like, you know, sleeping in a pile of money and getting tons of plastic surgery. Yeah, yeah. We don't know. Right.
0: Filming season two of yeah.
1: I Am Kate or yeah.
0: whatever it is. Yeah. Are you a Kardashian person? Do you dip a toe?
1: I've dipped a toe. I mean, I've had various hungover binges of the Kardashians Mm -hmm. or like airplane rides where that's like I just get sucked in. But, uh, yeah, I don't tend to follow a lot of it. But, again, it's sort of like even if you're not a follower or an intense follower, it's cultural ubiquity is such that, you know – I'm gonna know what they're yeah. up to or what they're saying. I think the last thing that I was kinda hooked into was the false rumor circulating uh about Kim and Kanye breaking up. Mm. And I of course spread this fake news to someone who knew better, my friend Jean, and she's like, I must find out about this down. She's like, You're full of shit. That didn't happen. So it's, can we curse on this oh, show? Oh, okay, yes. yeah. Fuck yeah. Just checking to make sure. Yeah.
0: Uh is there a sh- I mean, you know you have to know about the big ones. Mm-hmm. Is there a show that nobody else is watching that you love?
1: Gosh, I mean, I don't know because I think that, again, it's sort of like I'm always veering over into the middle brow territory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the show that I've evangelized for forever that not enough people have watched is Halt and Catch Fire, okay. which is the AMC series that, uh, you know, starred Lee Pace, uh, you know, Kelly Bichet, uh, and of course Mackenzie Davis, who's having a pretty decent you know, burgeoning career, mm. uh, Scooter Scoot McNary, I think that's his name. Scoot McNary, yeah, yeah, Scoot McNary. And I loved that show so much, and was very sad that it was ending. Even though the, it, you know, it lasted for four seasons. I think it had dismal viewership. Uh, so, so every now and then I'll see a show that's aiming at the prestige genre, uh, and that actually good because most of those shows you know uh, we've called them faux right like the kind of uh, you know like serious character drama with a period setting that will make it visually appealing and so uh, most of those shows just don't have any substance there's no there there but Halt and Catch Fire was a real mm. thing for me that uh, you know like I love revisiting episodes of that show and I recommend it to anyone I come across mm. you're not the first to say that I, yeah. uh, I need to get into it By the
0: way, uh, you are, I believe, working on a book called Norm Porn, or you have written a book? Oh,
1: I'm working on a book called Norm Porn. So I actually just had a book come out on Karen Carpenter called Why Karen Carpenter Matters. Yes. Which also explores, you know, the kind of, I guess, the different ways that normalcy and queerness intersect, partly through the story of Karen Carpenter and my own story. Uh, because I was named after her, right? And so it's sort of like, how does this brown queer person born halfway on the other side of the world? How is my life related at all to Karen Carpenter? Why is she so meaningful in that space? Uh, Norm Porn is a book that I'm working on that's actually about, um, I say, uh, they're like hour-length dramedies, starting with 30-something in the late 80s. And it is about this kind of capacious white liberal world, uh, and that often deals with issues like adoption or like the kind of expanding family. Um, so parenthood is the locus classicus of that. And, you know, uh, In the last 30 years And I talk Like This Is Us I argue that This Is Us Is basically the last real Norm porn show, show. Mm. Because what it, you know, And a lot of them thrived in the Obama era Because it was like A moment where um, I think that we thought This is how the world Was going to shape up And it is a kind of Sentimental point of view About like how Accepting These larger family units are And then You know Once 2016 happens We have a very different sense Of what norms And normalcy are so I talk about how queer people cry at these shows, even though we know that they're so super normy, heteronormative often, even if they're accommodating of gay plot lines, um, and that there is a kind of guilt, shame, porny aspect to binging and weeping at these shows. Mm.
0: So it's like a a longing for family. It is. It's It's kind of like a
1: normal, our normal bourgeois longings, right? So it's just sort of like, if you're like a queer radical identified person, or even just like a queer person, you're just like, I'm not here for, you know, marriage and reproductive reproduction and like property. Right. Like, you know, but there's like a lot of, I think, you know, urban LGBTQ people who are very much like, you know, the kind of radical end of the political spectrum. And then, uh, and then you see them, like, weeping to every episode of Parenthood. So, like, I thought you were a Marxist. What's up with that? Yeah. I was like, are but you a, one yeah. of those people? Oh, I mean, of course it has to come from – I mean, part of what – you know, part of it is, like, really kind of rethinking what our attachments are to, like, a certain vision of our political selves – and what happens when you kind of make it, or what happens when you know, like you get kind of soft? It's like the Rocky Three scenario where you know Rocky suddenly is like getting pudgy, enjoying buying cool shit, and mm-hmm. like you know, who's like needs to learn how to fight again. So, I'm kind of thinking about that moment of once you have kind of, you know, I suppose achieved a certain level of mainstream success or acceptance or these things, um, you know, how does that reshape your sense of the political or not? how do we interact with pop culture uh, and what do we see in it that either validates or counteracts the things that, you know, we are desiring and wanting for ourselves. So, Mm. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's very clear, but that's sort of like, you know, the direction that that book's been going and, you know, um, so yeah, I'm excited to write about like shows like Parenthood, The Fosters, even to a certain extent uh, what I call the new queer television, like transparent, you know? Ah. Yeah.
0: I'm excited. Yeah. Also very excited about Karen Carpenter. Yeah. What is your, beyond the name, what's your connection with Karen Carpenter?
1: Well, so my mom is also a singer. Yeah. Uh, and so the story is that my parents, my my mom my bio dad met in a production of Jesus Christ Superstar. And then that's when they got busy and that's when they had me. And then their favorite singer was Karen Carpenter. So I was named after her. So part of it is that my own fa- I come from a musical family in the Philippines that's pretty well known. And... And part of it is seeing the kind of parallel lives of these two musical worlds. And also um, the fact that we shared Southern California as a place where we grew up and landed and shared some of the same, you know, like we grew up singing in choirs and things like me and Karen Carpenter, right? And so there's like this Tale of Two Karens vibe. Uh, and, and it, yeah, it kind of shows and reflects on the different ways in which again we struggle with our sense of normalcy or 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 not fitting in right which karen also struggled with like these deep secrets and feelings and things like that
0: and and there's also such a there's such a warmth and and like there's such a soothing quality to her voice yeah that there's something almost maternal
1: about it. Yeah.
0: You know, like it. everything kind of feels like a lullaby in a way coming from her.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, actually the musicologist Mitchell Morris called uh, her voice a kind of like something about like the wet maternal ooze of her voice. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was his line. Uh, yeah. But I think about it as like, you know, a, a voice too, where even when she's singing about joy, you can always feel the sadness. Yeah. And I think that double edge of like melancholy, um, maybe like, the cruel optimism within our hearts. uh, I think that she makes, she vocalizes that. And I think the number of torchy type ballads she sings also is really resonant with like, you know, LGBT people.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Well, spring has officially sprung at ModCloth. You can discover everything from fun florals and stripes to easy one-and-done rompers. You don't have to go through seven or eight rompers a day. One, you're finished. One but and but, but you're going to want several of those ones and done Oh, definitely, definitely. But, yeah, one per day. And jumpsuits in fresh, wearable styles. Now, ModCloth believes that fashion should celebrate all women. That is why they're expanding their size range from zero-zero zero. zero to 28. That's right. And whether you are planning a beach day or a vacay, you can nab your perfect swimsuit in sizes XXS to 4X. Mm-hmm. And Mod Cloth's Bridal Boutique will have mm. you falling in love with its assortment of wedding gowns and guest looks. Oh, if that's not our reason to get married, what is? Do it. You got a question about fit? Their team of mod stylists can hook you up with complimentary sizing and styling help. And speaking of help... Because we are not the target customers for ModCloth, we not can't speak all. to our own experience with it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. We do have our esteemed producer, Dana Wickens, here. Mod I'm Mod a woman. Way I'm a real woman. And I, I'm very interested in the fact they have extra, extra small. I am extra small. And it's Bragging. really hard to find, especially like a good jumpsuit. For the summer. I just went to a wedding, wore a beautiful floral jumpsuit to the wedding. It was extra extra small. Now, if I wanna wear more jumpsuits to weddings, I can go to Modcloth and get extra extra small jumpsuits. Yeah. So it. good. It's so Love good. It. They have amazing stuff. It's so good for the summer. I'm obsessed with all floral things right now. I feel mm-hmm. like it's very in and I wanna be on trend. So you want to be bold to be on trend. Yes. yes. I want to be bold. I want to bold, have florals. Floral. Delicious. Yes. And so yes. I'm pumped. ModCloth, I can't wait to buy all the things from you. Yay. Well, here's some advice. If you want 15% off of your purchase of 100 bucks or more, go to ModCloth, dot com and enter code HOMO at checkout. Yes, that's ModCloth.com, enter code HOMO. And this offer is valid for a one-time use only and expires on August 3rd, 2019. And we're back. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. It was a quick break, but a soothing one. Indeed. Uh, so you mentioned a, uh, a wife.
1: Yes. Tell I have everything. A, a wife. Yes, I have a wife. Um, yeah, uh, my wife, Sarah Kessler, who's also a media scholar and writer. She uh, re- edits a TV column for public books and writes for that column as well called The Binge Watch. Oh. And so, yeah, we've been together for over eight years now. We've been married since 2016. So I guess that's like almost three years that we've been married. Wow. Oh, mm-hmm. How'd you meet? Um, we had a rather ignominious way of meeting um, because, well, I was single. I was in, I, I was sworn to my Clooney years at the time. And she actually happened to be dating someone who I played soccer with, a guy. And, um, yeah, so we kind of met in these intersecting circles, and it was not a very popular decision when she – whatever, we started kind of like – you know, struck something up on the side, and then, and then at some point, <laughs> she departed that relationship, and then mm. we got together. Yeah, wow. so that's that's how it happened. <laughs> um, sexy. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. So it was, It was. There's a lot going on, and people hated us. In her, in her shorthand for it, she's like, you know, we got together. There were some haters, and now we are wed. And that's how she summarizes our relationship.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. You were the Angelina jo- well Well, that's a bad example because they're not. But you know what I'm saying. Yes.
1: Yeah, I guess I was sort of the Angelina. I was, you know, whatever, in my, like, Clooney years moment. I guess I was giving off some good energy. <laughs> Let's People break were down. drawn to me, you know, whatever.
0: Let's break down these <laughs> Clooney years <laughs> that you reference. What did the really Clooney years a
1: year, but- <laughs> look like? Um, The Clooney years, well, I was just like, you know, I just, and this was again before the Amal situation. um, I was just like, you know, I'll just, I'm going to be single for a while. I've been very like serially monogamous, Kylie monog about things. (laughs) And so I'm, you know, I need to take some time. And and most of my uh, previous relationships would end often with me cheating on someone. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to like. Go that route again, um, and I'm not going to commit to long term relationship again. So I said, if you want to get on the back of my bike or hop on my boat, in Monte Carlo or like in a, the Lake Como, yeah, 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 right. You know that I'm I'm there for that. I'm there to have a great time, sure. romance, whatever, but, pranks, uh, exactly, romance and pranks. <laughs> uh, and, and so I had this real whatever like inflated vision of what I was going to be doing in those years, and then uh, and then I met Sarah, and then you know. And both of us had kind of terrible track records in, in in our relationships in the past, and so we sort of bonded over being terrible people. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I was like, well, the thing is, if we ever get together, it would be really spy versus spy because we both know all the tricks, you know. And so, I mean, it actually it hasn't even come to any of that at all. It's it's actually really lovely and charming, and you know, um, sometimes we. T- do sexy talk about Kierkegaard or whatever you know wow. um and that was that and and you know i sort of reluctantly eased out of the Clooney years that kind of you know um i suppose mature bachelordom mm. and like reentered you know the married life
0: and when you say you had this pattern of uh, in, you know in your past life mm-hmm. being getting into a relationship and then ending it when you cheated mm-hmm. in retrospect what do you what do you make of that pattern
1: yeah i mean i think gosh what i make of that pattern is that you know in some circumstances it was you know it was really like i was too young when i got in my first long-term relationship um yeah i was in college and then we had a elaborate gay wedding before it was legal Mm. um and then we both moved to san francisco to go to grad school and then we both realized there's so many hotter people out here we're both only 22 years old. Yeah. This is absurd. So there was that and then I was in another longer term relationship and I think that you know um after a little break but but you know again like in the space of serial monogamy at some point you yeah you wonder like you know is this all there is? is? Or or you just, you you change and you grow and sometimes you don't change or grow together. And I've been with enough people who are willing to like, oh, let's open up the relationship and see what happens. Now we live long distance or whatever. So, so my second relationship when we're still very good, the only ex I'm still friends with actually, you know, that was a situation where she had to take a job on the other side of the country and we tried it for a while, long distance. And, you know, at some point we realized it wasn't really going to be tenable for the way we enjoyed our lives. And so I think that it's like the, The willingness to end up being flexible, um, in the long run, if you want to stay with somebody for a long time. And, and that's, you know, I think that that's, and being honest with, being able to be honest with the other person when you're changing in ways that seem like it's diverging from whatever the shared plan is. I think that's the most crucial thing to keeping a relationship going and alive and vibrant and evolving. And also knowing that, you know, even if we say forever we're going to be married, that doesn't necessarily mean certain things will be locked in place forever. So I guess it's finding the sense of freedom within a structure that you've mutually agreed to. Hmm.
0: You are the most actualized person I think we've ever spoken to. Yeah. Oh,
1: that sounds I'm so, learning That's, a so, lot. So, that's hilarious. Dana, that I hope you're, you're getting
0: all, taking all of these notes down because yeah. I need them. <laughs> you, know, you just seem very certain of where you are and what you're... Wants and needs are.
1: Well, I I am a Virgo. So I think that, you know, like Virgos can be very organized. But when we like go haywire, we go really haywire, right? So I think that every now and then I like blow my life up. I think I'm kind of done with that because I'm just so tired. I'm also like now I'm 45 going on 46. And I just don't have the energy anymore to like – you know, see, like, what would happen if I completely detonated this world? Yeah, and yeah. like, you know, like, what would what would what would grow from the bare earth? You know, like, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm done with those gestures. Right. Uh, and so, and I think the same for my partner, my wife, and and yeah, I think we, we I think that the thing is we're like, let's just be brutally honest with each other, and that brutal honesty, like whenever you know whenever it comes up, is going to be key instead of like trying to hide things from the other person about anything, you know. Mm.
0: Um,
1: and then respecting each other's space and privacy, you know, anyway,
0: what was coming out like?
1: Yeah, my, I didn't even like actively come out myself. I mean, I think that my mother, uh, basically called me out because we were having an argument about her and about some life things that she was doing at the time. And then she got so mad at me. She's like, well, I never even asked you about your sexuality, And I was like, oh, how do you know? And I was 19. I was in college. Had my first girlfriend at the time. And I did used to sleep with that girlfriend at my parents' house. And I think that they heard, which, like, flips me out. Like, I'm just like, how brazen was I to do that? Oh, my God. And I was like, how brazen, how gross. Um, Anyway, uh, and, yeah. And then I said, well, how long have you known? That was my first sentence. How long have you known? And I actually can't remember what her answer was. I do remember that it's, she tried to be like, well, maybe you're bisexual, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, pretty sure I'm not. But, you know, yeah, sure, I'll leave that open. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. And then, oh, and she said, well, you know, I know about these things because I went to Catholic school. And what do you call them? Those butches used to like me.
0: Really? So, yeah. so she learned <laughs> about uh, about queer people not from living in a – like being a musician but yeah. from Catholic school.
1: Well, yeah, well that was the that was the the place she cited, uh, I right? See. Yeah. Catholic school, but my grandmother's best friend was uh, one of the first trans women in the Philippines. Really? We had a kind of bohemian family, so yeah. So yeah, being musicians um and being musicians and being part of that world, but really like the thing that she to bring to bring it up the kind of especially same sex stuff between women yeah. to go directly to Catholic school I think says a lot.
0: What what? what?
1: I don't know. It just it, says explain. a lot of things about like the you know like what people talk about is like the situ- situational homosexualities of. Yeah being same-sex people, you know, in a same-sex environment, right? Yeah. Not as opposed to a co-ed environment. Right. And, and like that, you know, like, yes, when, when people go to these same-sex schools, these boarding schools or what have you, uh, or these private Catholic schools, like, people will develop intimacies that will grow into different kinds of crushes and that will be confusing, you know, your amorous desires in your young, right, will be wayward and you might end up fomenting like a crush on or with somebody of the same sex, even if you don't eventually Land in that identity. Right. And I think that that's one of the things that her statement made apparent is that, like, I know about these things. I went to Catholic school, suggests that, you know, these environments, these same sex environments, are open to that free floating desire. Yeah.
0: Did you go to a same sex?
1: Um You know, the thing is I stopped going to school between second grade and the sixth grade because I was on tour with my parents. Oh wow. okay. So um, so I did go to Catholic school for one year in in the Philippines. I went to elementary school first in Hawaii for the first grade, and then second grade, partly in Hawaii, partly in the Philippines. And then after that, I was just on the road with my folks until we moved to California when I was ten, and then just jumped right back into school.
0: Yeah, how was yeah. that? It was weird. Yeah,
1: yeah. I didn't like. I was a total tomboy. I played soccer, um, you know, in the street with the boys uh, who were who lived on my block, and like I knew they were going to my elementary school, but I didn't even think about like what it would be like, you know, that there would be actual girly girls there, and that like I didn't like the f- picture on the first day that I went to that elementary school like I have like a knot in my hair like poofing up in the back and I'm just like wearing you know basically dressed the same way I am now (laughs) and wearing a polo shirt and and then I I began to be re I don't know like retrained in what people wanted out of my gender presentation when I started going to school because I was like oh shit I'm not I shouldn't come to school looking like this because obviously like people are feeling some kind of way about it so
0: did you accommodate that I mean did you did you Change your appearance and the yeah. way you dressed. I girly
1: up, because yeah. you know, like, you know, people would be like, Are you a boy or girl? You know, they'd ask that question mm-hmm. all the time. And I write about that in the book, like uh, about the, that that was probably the most frequently asked question of my life at a certain point. And so, yeah, so my mom helped me doll up a little bit. But even then, like, you look at my super hyper femme photos from high school, and I just look like Jujubee from Drag Race. It's, like, <laughs> really intense. I'm so like,
0: you look stunning,
1: is what you're saying. <laughs> a bit, yes, yeah, stunning if a bit over the top. Uh-huh. in my feminine, Or, like, at least if fe, that femininity is in and of itself as a performance was made obvious by, right. by that. Right. But, yeah. So I did, you know, I girled up, and I – you know, had very vociferous crushes on mostly like gay '80s lead singers of British pop bands.
0: Mm. Okay. All right, let's go. Yes, yeah. let's, let's hear. Yeah. Let's hear a ranking.
1: Oh, I mean, you know, George Michael, of course, is my like. I loved him the most, probably. I, my first love was Simon LeBon, of sure. course. And I vacillated between Simon and Roger. I never was into Nick, even though he was femier.
0: I have never met another Roger.
1: Oh, are you another There's Roger? I am a
0: Roger. I am a strong Roger.
1: Oh, strong Roger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's like this strong, silent, yes. like, quiet type. Yes. Tony Courtesy. Yes. Yeah. He's got like, yeah. And he had great fashion and great hair. Yes, he did. Like, and everybody else's hair just would like wig out, but like Roger had a pretty stable. Yeah. Look, kept it tight, yeah. And
0: then he had the good sense to drop out and go buy a farm somewhere and spend the money, yeah, totally. And not tour the world doing cocaine,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, t- I mean, you know, like think of like all the nasal surgery he's like saved himself. Oh, yeah, my God, Karen. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Simon, and then um, George Michael, like George Michael, blew my mind. I was like, why am I so into you? And I'm just like, yeah. oh, now I know why I'm so into you. <laughs> you know, so some years later, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, you were modeling for me this type. I think that he, in many respects, he's kind of my like gender ideal in various ways in the kind of, you know, like from his leather jacketed wham fantastic days to then like the tiny shorts and the like club Tropicana manscaping. Like yeah. I was so mm-hmm. about that. And and I am a little fat on the faggier end of the spectrum. I think like aesthetically, like um, the, or at least aspirationally, aesthetically, and I think George Michael was the person who did that to me.
0: Yeah. We here in America sleep on the fantastic era.
1: Oh yeah. Everybody so who
0: can hear this right now, go watch the videos for Club Tropicana mm-hmm. and and uh Young Guns. Yeah. I mean, Wham! Just-
1: rap, the first Wham! rap? Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, that's when I I first learned how to rap listening to Wham!, which is so sad to say. <laughs> no, it's beautiful to say, Karen. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: it's true. It's true.
0: But yeah, what a what a colorful era for boys. Yeah. Back then.
1: Totally. I mean, and so many other people I knew who were a little bit more tomboy, like were into Nick Rhodes or into like Boy George and stuff like that. It was a little more like, oh yeah, I'm into the femme one or like, you know, but I don't know. Like I think about it as the, 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 do you want to buff or to be them? Right. And I think that it was just exploring that ego ideal and the narcissism of our desires. Like I was like, do I want to look like that? And I mean that, like, I love that, like, I finally felt comfortable enough, like, you know, kind of expressing myself through clothes and style in a way that I could finally be like, Oh, I have that Simon Lebon jacket now and I can fucking rock that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How are your rap skills uh, today, (laughs) by the way?
1: I mean, they're pretty much, you know, like spice girl level rap skills. Sure. So they're like, so they're like, you know, okay, they're good for um, festive karaoke occasions. Sure.
0: Great. Champagne rose level.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I could do California Love by Tupac.
0: Great. great. Um,
1: so, yeah, I have a couple things in my back pocket, but for the most part, I don't try.
0: Where did you settle in America?
1: Riverside, California. Okay. So an hour east of here. My stepfather is from Riverside. He was uh, he, born and raised there. Um, and, you know, they had some stuff to do with, like, agriculture and citrus farms. And he's a musician. But he moved to Hawaii in his 20s. And so that's how he and my mom ended up meeting is that he worked with a lot of different Filipino musicians, including her godfather, who is a well-known crooner in the Philippines. And he was there musical directing for that singer. And he and my mom were like working the same venue. And that's how they met. And then that's how we ended up traveling to the U.S.
0: Okay. What was the 80s teenage Riverside aesthetic?
1: Oh, I mean, it's it's almost like the actual stereotype of what the 80s, like, you know, I mean, I remember, like, the whole neon thing. Like, the neon thing was really big, you know, and the big, chunky neon earrings. But it, it was eclectic. I think that, you know, there were some people who I remember, like, were really into prints and would just, like... Exist in the Prince universe, you know, with the lace and that kind of stuff. They kind of intersected with some of the Madonna people. It was very much that. Or there was like your, Hesher like heavy metal sure. like, thing going on as well. Um, so, Yeah. And I will remember it was very painful because I, some, cause I loved an assortment of bands, but someone in like the sixth grade is like, you're a wannabe. You can't like Ozzy Osbourne and Duran Duran. And I was like, what? Don't no. say that. Don't make uh, me choose. Yeah. What a damaging lie. What a damaging lie. But it was, you know, it was very like a very, you know, the schools I went to were very much in the John Hughes wheelhouse of things. Like, so like whatever that looked like on screen, it's what looked like it's what it looked like in in real life.
0: Yeah. Cause we were like movies and TV were sort of using Riverside as a model for like, Oh, that's probably what middle America is like. It uh, was yeah, like where, where LA by. screenwriters could, could, you know, get a glimpse of real life without having to go to, you know, the Midwest?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly, you know, what I think of it as. I mean, they used to call Long Beach, Iowa of the Sea or Iowa by the Sea. Uh, But, you know, like places like Riverside, because there were so many transplants from the Midwest. So you get a confluence of transplants from the Midwest and you get a bunch of folks who like maybe moved in from the cities, like especially people of color who moved to have like a kind of better life in -hmm. the suburbs that was more affordable. So you'd have like a mix of these things and you could, you know, again, get like that, that very eclectic landscape of people and styles and musics.
0: What was your clique?
1: Oh, my clique was always kind of like, um, I mean, you know, the the nerd, like the sort of cool nerds, right? Or like, like the semi-nerdy, but like also kind of, like I did always end up befriending like the cool girl uh, in like school. So, uh, you know, so the cool pretty girl, uh-huh. right? Um, who was maybe like a secret nerd at heart and like wanted to like basically talk about Duran Duran all night or something. Like we dream up these scenarios and like talk about it. So, so that was kind of like, a, it was like kind of cool adjacent. Um, but you know, the people who had secret nerdy hearts. Mm. And then by the time I get to like middle school and, You know, middle school, I'm in all the honor societies and like with all the precocious kids. And then in high school, you know, I was in the band. I was a performing arts geek. Yeah, I'm like Rachel Bloom. Like, you know, (sighs) Um, my instrument was the alto saxophone.
0: Me too. Oh, there you go.
1: Mm Woodwinds unite. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a bunch of cheesy like you know s- saxes do it better or whatever like <laughs> pins from band competitions.
0: Can you still play?
1: Oh yeah, I just did something with the artist now Bustamante at uh, at the uh, Mayan Theater. Um, oh, wow. Like I just did this thing with her, and then I used to play in a ska band for a minute in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can still everybody play. Yeah, in ska band exactly. Everybody did, but I could really play. Damn it. So. <laughs> What
0: do you think now that, like, the world is nerd culture? Yeah. Like, (laughs) everybody thinks they're a nerd now, Mm -hmm. you know, because they'll watch two episodes of something in a row.
1: Yeah, and they're like, yeah, or they'll look something up on the internet and, like, no effectoids. Yeah. I think it's really hard for me um, to absorb that. Also, because of the way nerd culture has sorted itself out into these, like, really intense and violent, like, masculine worlds in some ways. Uh, So... I'm sort of sad about that. Uh, and, And I think that that's part of what's pushed me to look more closely in my own work and writing at the middle or the mainstream. So the things that are absolutely like, I guess, the normiest, the most basic shit, like I'm just. I, you know, I'm interested in these things that I think that we can't find redemption in, or that can't be taken up by a nerd world that is, you know, gonna flip itself to coolness, you know. Uh, And so that's why I'm, you know, I guess I'm drawn to those things because these are things; these are popular objects that can't be redeemed, or at least in certain people's eyes can't be redeemed. Yeah. So it's true. It's rebellion. I mean, it is rebellion, or it's just like, you know, in the end, I'm just really basic. (laughs) No.
0: Uh, I mean, I I think you might be right that there is – that mainstream is kind of the only edgy part of the world anymore.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, or just the part where you can feel, like, comfortable or, like, you know – yeah, and, like – just like, yeah, I love Grey's Anatomy. Like, I also love yeah. Grey's. I'm still watching Grey's Anatomy. Wow. Like, you had Punky Johnson on talking about Grey's, Grey's Anatomy. I'm like, I feel you because I'm right there with you, you know?
0: <laughs> and there are very few of you <laughs> very the, few of that, we, that we know of. That
1: we know. Although, like, there I guess the millions of people, it's still one of the most popular shows around. Yes. So So the silent majority. <laughs> the silent queer majority for Grey's. <laughs>
0: Norm porn star Karen Tongson <laughs> thank you so much for doing this oh it
1: it's such a thrill so to much fun. get to chat with both of you,
0: you. now we're gonna uh, cut the mics and go deep on Duran Duran and their appeal okay Okay. <laughs> we want to thank Dana we want to thank Ryan everybody yes. at Earwolf thank you Ben Wise, for the music yeah thank you thank you Matt thank you Dave thank you listening bye